0: Shalom. shalom. People are in a good mood today. I've always marvelled at the uh, power of public opinion. We consider ourselves independent thinkers. We would like to believe that we are strong, original, and creative intellects. But again and again, we discover that our fundamental instinct is to conform. We think that our opinions are our own. But, more often than not, they are other people's opinions. The tribe tells us what to think. We are conformists by nature. We run with the herd. We're followers. We follow our idols in the millions hanging on every tweet. We friend them. Look how many friends I have. Justin Bieber knows me. Taylor Swift wrote to me. I've always been fascinated by the fundamental choice described in this week's Torah portion. The background is well known. It was the second year of the Exodus. The community has spent a year in and around Mount Sinai receiving the Torah and the law, and that task was now complete. The next stop was the Promised Land. The original plan was to conquer the land now, not 38 years later. And so, with great fanfare, Moses sends 12 representatives, the leaders of each tribe, to scout the land. After 40 days, they return. And the Bible describes a mass gathering of the community to hear the report. The scouts reported that the land, indeed, flowed with milk and honey. They even showed the fruits of the land, grapes that were so big that the clusters had to be borne by several men. Everything that God promised about this land was true. But the people received two opinions on whether the land could be conquered. The key to the next 38 years boils down to two verses in the book of Numbers. Two verses determined the entire future of the Exodus generation. One scout, Caleb, said, Let us, by all means, go up. We shall gain possession of the land, for we shall surely overcome. But everyone else said, We cannot attack that people, for they are stronger than we. So the Israelites had these two conflicting views from which to choose here at the crossroads of their lives that would determine their entire future. It wasn't a trivial decision. It was a life-altering, history-making decision. The minority view, first expressed by one person, and later Joshua joined Caleb as well, was yachol nuchal. We can do it. The majority view was lo We can't do it. In retrospect, the minority view was the right decision. The entire exodus was about wandering in the was not about wandering in the wilderness, but was about going home to the Promised Land. Thirty-eight years later, it's precisely what the people did. They conquered the land. It wasn't beyond their capacities. They were not grasshoppers. And the people in the land were not giants that could not be overcome. Caleb was right. It goes without saying that this was the view that Moses favored. It was the reason that he sent the scouts in the first place. The mission was not really a military mission, and thus the scouts were not really spies. They were the heads of the tribes. The group was huge, hardly a secret intelligence unit doing reconnaissance. Upon their departure, there was celebration And a lot of noise, banners were flying, you can almost envision the bands playing. It wasn't a seal reconnaissance mission undercover of darkness and stealth. Thirty-eight years later, in the haftarah of the week, we read about a real spying mission. When Joshua sends the best two undercover agents to determine the enemy's military strength, they operated in the shadows, and they even hid in the attic of a prostitute in Jericho. These guys in our Parsha, they weren't selected for their military prowess, because their mission wasn't a military one. It was a political mission to shape public opinion. Moses knew what we know. Human beings are conformists. What better way to rally the community than to have the leaders of each tribe urge what Caleb came back and urged, let us go up and gain possession of the land, for we shall surely overcome. Except that Moses didn't anticipate that this mission to shape public opinion would go disastrously wrong. He didn't expect the very leaders of the community, the heads of the tribe, to return and insist we cannot attack, that they are stronger than we. How could so many people have gotten it so wrong? And they got it so wrong on such a critical issue, one of life and death. It was the turning point of their entire lives. Beware of the power of the tribe to bend our will and to contort our judgment. When public opinion inclines one way, it's almost impossible to resist. Even Caleb, the good scout, even he almost succumbed to the mob. There's a midrash that tells us that at first Caleb told the other scouts that he was with them, but in his heart, He knew that he had to speak the truth, and he prayed for the strength to stand against them. It takes courage to resist public opinion. It takes courage to be unpopular. It takes courage to withstand public disapproval and defending principle. It takes deep-seated conviction in the rightness of the cause. It takes integrity and self-confidence, abuse, animosity, and even slander are hurled against one who, in the name of principle, dares to challenge the wisdom of the tribe. Beware of the mob, whether on the streets or on the highways and byways of social media. Beware of the rush to judgment. Even in democracies, especially in democracy, where speech is free and where the majority rules, we consign enormous authority to the power of speech. We elect people on the basis of their capacity to sway the crowds. And orators sway crowds not by appealing to reason, but to emotion. In public discourses, there are often no shades of gray, despite the basic fact of human existence, which is almost totally gray. Beware of absolutes. truth is nuanced. It is never pure and rarely simple. Beware that while, of course, we uphold majority rule, the majority is not always right. In our Parsha, the majority was wrong. Popular opinion does not imply correct opinion and correct opinion does not imply politically correct opinion. Of course we uphold free speech, but given our nature to conform, speech can be coercive as well, a form of censorship. We see it all over now. We see it on campuses. We see it online. We see it in chat rooms. We see it in the media. Step out of the box. Depart from the camp. Disagree with the tribal leaders, those who are used to telling us what we think with such authority. Dabble in some independent thoughts that is at odds with the orthodoxy of the camp, and an avalanche of ostracism comes your way. The tribe has absolutist tendencies. Tribal leaders are often incapable of seeing any middle ground. Groups are not independent. Groups enforce. Groupthink is what led to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Beware of confusing feelings with facts, relationships, with rights. We're so focused on feelings nowadays. It goes without saying that I believe in feelings too. It goes without saying that we should not purposely offend people. Our tradition is very clear about our responsibilities to uphold the dignity of others and to um, avoid embarrassing or offending people. And we spend a lot of time here painstakingly teaching this value and hopefully living up to it. At least we try. But there's too much emphasis today on feelings. That's what the 10 tribal leaders did in the Parsha. They scared the people. They played on emotions, on fear. Of course, feelings are important. Of course, we should be empathetic. But free societies are based on rights. Good societies are based on principles that are long lasting, not feelings, which may be the fashion of the moment you offend me, you hurt my feelings, is not the end of the discussion. Sometimes the health of a society requires saying things that are offensive to you. And sometimes we are offended by the wrong things. And sometimes we are not offended enough by what is truly offensive. I think of all those Israel bashers and Israel haters on campus and online who are so offended by what they perceive as every minor Israeli offense of what is after all a democracy, a free society that upholds civil and human rights, today there was a gay rally in Tel Aviv, a mass gay rally in Tel Aviv, which was voted the most gay-friendly city in the world. And yet, they do not seem offended at all by un- unparalleled, incomparable and incomprehensible savagery in the Arab world. They do not seem offended at all at the depravity in so much of the Muslim world. They do not seem offended at all by terrorism in Palestinian society. In fact, they are often apologists. For this offense, they're offended by Huckleberry Finn, but not by racist persecution of minorities in the developed and developing world. They're offended by sons and lovers, but not by misogynistic regimes that brutally suppress women. They are offended by Ian Hersey Ali and Brandeis, no less but not by the intolerance that devastates human dignity that she overcame. They're so sensitive to hostile environments and are so silent regarding the hostile environments that condemn half of human humanity to misery, poverty, and despair. such a surfeit of passion, such feeling for feelings, and such a deficiency of feeling regarding what is truly offensive. The Midrash clarifies that even those who silently disagreed with the majority View of the ten tribal leaders, even they were sentenced to die in the wilderness because they didn't speak up, speak up, show up, and stand up.